Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning out there in Blog Talk Radio and Rainbow Soul Land. So happy to have everybody here with us on Off the Shelf this Saturday, February the 23rd. Waiting for our guests to join us the second time this year this has happened. You guys, we got to be on time. I want to leave this thought with you, and this is from Confucius. Our greatest glory is not in never failing or not in never falling, but in rising every time we do fall. Our greatest glory is not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. So we're waiting for our guests to join us. I always reach out to publicists and most of our guests here at Off the Shelf, and this is such a blessing, we've been on for 14 years, but they actually will reach out to us and ask to be on the show. But I just want to encourage you, when you do things, just remember you you want to be uh, on time. And I know things come up, so I always pray for our guests in the event that they're not here on time. On time. We had a guest who was in, I think it was Indiana, and they are an hour behind. So she was thinking the show started on Indiana time and forgot we're on Eastern Standard Time. So we're going to be patient and prayerful and, and wait for our guests to join us again. But I want to leave that with you. If you're having a challenging morning or things aren't going just the way you wanted them to or thought that they would, just keep that thought from Confucius in your mind. Our greatest glory is not in never falling but in rising every time we fall, we have to get up. We have to stay motivated and encouraged. And in this, and in this world, we will have things that seem like setbacks, but we have to keep uh, believing in ourselves and giving ourselves chances after chance after chance to be victorious because that's what we were created for. So it's in us and we can do it. I want to, before we do introduce our guest to you this morning, I want to ask you, do you love mystery? You know, and life itself is a mystery. If you try to plan life too much, it'll seem too limited and too confined. So we have to stay open and trust, trust it. This is a trust walk for sure that something has my best interest at heart. It's pulling the strings, and I'm coming out on top. But that makes life a mystery because then you don't know everything. You don't know all the details about what's going on now, why it's happening when it is, and what it's going to connect to in the future, if you value mystery. And another question I want to ask you, how important is love to you? It impacts every last one of us, even those who run away from it. It is still with us. Love, friendships, and how we develop, how our parents impact us, and we create our beliefs, our perceptions. We give events meanings, and then that those meanings and those thoughts become beliefs, and they follow us throughout our entire lives, and they limit us or help us to become as we are limitless. If you value these things, again, friendship, there's a soulmate relationship here, and a murder mystery, but there's these five friends. They are lifetime friends. They meet at college. Raymond meets his soulmate, Brenda, at college. He meets 
five friends. They will be friends through the thick and the thin, including this murder mystery. If this is something you value, and really, really mystery in relationships, I encourage you to stop what you're doing and get a copy of Love Pour Over Me now. You can get it in ebook or in print format. It's about 300 pages, and I know at Amazon it's $3.03, but e- you can get it in print or ebook. Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Walmart, ebook it, Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. Please give yourself the treat of enjoying a good book today. And now I want to go over and connect with our special guest this morning. But before I do and bring him on, I want to introduce our special guest to you this morning. Our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is David Eason. We've had so many awesome guests on. One of our guests was on CNN. He's now on TV One. We have guests who've had their own regional television shows with millions and millions of viewers. We've had people on New York Times best-selling writers on the year. We've had literary agents, movie producers. So this guest joins this long list of just amazing people who've been on Off the Shelf. And David is a best-selling author. He's a master life coach, public speaker, counselor, and minister. He has a master's degree in fitness management. He is a former adjunct professor at Florida Gulf Coast University and Edison State College. Television shows that David has appeared on include Good Day New York, The Image Workshop, and The Morning Blend. Now, David also works with married couples, helping them to strengthen their unions. He has helped people to meet life goals, step free from codependency, addictions, depression, and anxiety. And we encourage you to visit David online, off-the-shelf listeners, at davidezo.com, and I'll spell that for you, D-A-V-I-D. E S S E L dot com and that's S as in Sam. So D A V I D E S S E L dot com. You can go over there and check him out, even as you continue to enjoy today's show. So we were happy to welcome David Easel to Off the Shelf this morning. Let's give him a warm welcome, welcome, welcome to Off the Shelf, David. Oh, I'm so glad to be with you, and your open was wonderful. The mystery of life. Absolutely, you're dead on. Ah, yes, yes, it is a mystery. This is a this is trust is an absolute necessary ingredient to live a good life here because none of us knows everything. Is the first few questions that I'm going to ask you? I ask all off the shelf guests because our listeners they like a little bit of backstory on our guests before I launch into the questions about their books and other things they're involved in. So. To begin, David, can you tell off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Well, gosh, yeah, I grew up in upstate New York. I was born in Utica, this tiny little city in in the middle of New York State. I moved to Syracuse in first grade and lived in Syracuse, went to Syracuse University, played a couple years of basketball at Syracuse University, and and then as soon as I could, I came to Florida, and I haven't returned. I needed, needed that warm weather versus the snow. Uh, but I, I've got a brother, a sister, mom and dad. Dad is suffering right now. He's 91. He's having a real hard time with life. Uh, my mom is 90, and she is just strong as an ox. Uh, and, and so that's kind of, you know, I, I was an athlete. I, I went to, as I mentioned, Syracuse University. 
graduated from there, went on, got a master's degree in sports psychology, fitness management, exercise physiology. And, and my whole life changed in 1990 when I left the world of health and fitness and sports psychology and started working with the general population with many of the topics that you mentioned just a few minutes ago, whether it's helping to save relationships or to beat addictions, to become financially free, uh, you know, every topic in the world that we can imagine, we've worked with some very intense, deep uh, um, concept of helping people recover after rape, after incest. So when we look at the topics we cover, the only thing we don't get into is politics. But besides that, our doors are open to help people overcome any and all challenges in life. Uh, so you went from Syracuse to Florida coast, coast to coast, and then and, and it does it does snow a lot in Syracuse. I don't know what it's doing up there this winter, but you don't have to worry about that in Florida. Now, when you were a child, you said how you kind of sometimes we stumble into what we do, but how the path a little bit uh, sharing with our listeners how you got to where you are. Some of my next questions will focus on that, but what did you dream of becoming when you were very, very young? When you were a kid, what did you say? <laughs> when I grow up, I want to be? The only thing I ever wanted to be was a professional basketball player. That's, that's it. it. It was wow. my dream. Dad was my obsession. I would sleep every night with a basketball underneath my arm. Um, I had pictures and posters of my favorite players above my bed, on the side of my bed, on every space of the wall. So, yeah, my, my, whole, my only thing that I cared about, um, even in going into college, was to hopefully someday become, you know, a professional basketball player. But that wasn't the path. And after two years of playing at Syracuse University, I knew that I wouldn't be able to cut it. So then my life transferred. Um, but I kept one thing that I, I had always had, and that was the desire to lead. Uh, that's something that has been implanted in me. Uh, there are a lot of people in this world that are great followers, and we need really strong followers. And then there are people in this world that know that they're meant to be a leader. And, and ever since I was a little kid in sports, I would lead in sports. And then when I got out of college, I continued that philosophy of trying to help other people achieve goals, which is what we do as a leader in sports. And, and it's carried on like that. You know, that's, that's the one trait that I will say that was implanted in me, a gift that was given to me at birth that has never left me and never will. So you knew. You, you know, it's funny. Sometimes we keep going after a dream even when it's not, it's showing that it might not be the path. And sometimes the path we're on is not attached to numbers. So maybe you are supposed to be a painter or whatever. You might not sell a lot. Well, Van Gogh, for example, you may not sell a lot in your physical experience, but it's not that that's not what you're supposed to do. But I think we know deep down when we're on the right path. But, again, it might not always mean you're going to sell a lot of something. It, it could still be your path, though. And I think in today's times, we can get into that further in the show, I think a lot of people associate this is my path with the numbers. I think they're associated with that. Now, now how, were, how were you when you knew you knew you wanted to be a leader? How were you, knew you, how were you when you knew you wanted to be a writer? Oh, Denise, that's a great question. You know, when I didn't think, and this is something interesting, we talk about belief systems. Coming out of college and being an athlete my whole life, 
I knew that I wanted to stay in the world of, you know, being very active and, and, and being very strong uh, as a leader in, in the world of sports. Moving that into the world of personal growth was a very interesting transition. And something you said a minute ago I think is really important to repeat, and that is whatever your gift is, it doesn't mean that that's going to bring you great wealth or fame or notoriety. It might. But that's not the real point here. The point is to find something, as so many people have said, that you can't wait to do when you get up in the morning. Like with the thousands of people that we've counseled over the past 30 years, I try to impress upon everyone the importance not of the end result, which is important. We need to be able to survive and thrive and and support ourselves financially. But the real key is going to be, is this something that drives me? Am I excited about it? And do I yearn to learn more about whatever craft I'm involved with to be better over the years? I think, Denise, if we can get more people to question their own identity of who they think they are, are they having fun? Are they enjoying what they're doing as a vocation or a career? And if the answer is no, we need to take life is really short. When you think about the average person living to 77 or 83 years of age, depending if you're a man or a woman, that goes super quick. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm 62. How the heck did I get to be 62 this quickly? It, it just blows my mind. So we say to people, don't waste another moment. If you're not waking up excited about the book, about whatever you're doing, you need to redirect, get some help. I didn't think, Denise, because I was a jock my whole life, and then I became a sports psychologist and everything was about health and fitness. I never thought that I had a creative bone in my body to write a book. And then in the early 90s, I was going through a very serious, deep clinical depression. And I started writing because I didn't know what to do with these emotions. I wrote about 300 pages that ended up becoming our first book, Phoenix Soul, One Man's Search for Love and Inner Peace, but when I wrote it, Denise, it was never meant to be published. I was doing it as my private journal. And how I became an author was that a friend of mine came to visit me, and I went in to take a shower, and I came out, and she was reading something in her lap, and she looked up at me, and she had tears streaming down her face. And you know, I thought to myself, how the heck can I make someone cry when I'm in the shower? Like, that was my first thought. What did I do so horrendous? Then I come out of a shower, and here's my friend sitting here crying. And she looked up at me, and she said, David, this needs to become a book. And when she said this, what I, what I saw that she had were, were my 300 journal pages that were supposed to be private. No one was ever supposed to see that. And so when she said that, and we spent the rest of that weekend talking about it, she's the one that inspired me to go find a publisher and to become a published author. Now, this is back in 1995, 96, and that's how I got into it. I was never trained. I took no courses in English literature or writing or broadcast journalism, but it became a passion. And I wrote Denise for 20 years before we finally wow. hit a number one. Yeah, before we hit a number one bestseller. Like, I just kept writing books and writing books, and now we have three number one bestsellers, and we just released a brand new book two weeks ago that we're hoping will become the fourth number one bestseller. But a real important piece of information for our audience, 
it is not necessary always, unless you're going to be something like a brain surgeon, it's not necessary to wait to get the education to do what it is that you're here to do. There are some careers and vocations that you absolutely have to have certain levels of education, certifications, et cetera. But like in the world of writing books or hosting radio shows or whatever else you can think of, there is no pathway that will guarantee you to success. If you have a passion, if you have a drive and desire, and you're willing to learn as you go, what we say to people is don't use a lack of a degree as a reason to not follow your heart and soul, not do the work. Go ahead, listen to that internal voice, start doing what you know you're here for. And if you need to go back to school, go back to school. But there's so many things we can do right now. We can start right now with all of the information on the Internet. As a matter of fact, on YouTube, we have two or three books that we put free videos up on on how to write a book. I want people to know that they can do this, and we even give them the steps that needs necessary to start. So my career has always been quite a shock. There is rarely anything that I do that I have a strong educational background in. It's more like this drives me. This is exciting. I love this. I'm just going for it. That's the attitude we want our listeners to have. Okay, okay. And and we do have, we have within us, the, the, the steps that we're supposed to take. I mean, they tell you that all the answers are right inside of us. And somebody says something else, but it clicks in you that, oh, yeah, that is right. But if the answer is in you. Can you tell us now, to be a top athlete, I'm thinking of Kobe Bryant, the LeBrons, the Tom Brady's, to be a top athlete, you have to really focus and you've got to have a, a, enormous confidence, I mean enormous, because you're competing with people whose talent is right on par generally with yours. Tell us about two to three key life lessons that you learned from working with athletes and being an athlete yourself. Life lessons in regards to vision, focus, determination. What did you learn that you can still use today while you were an athlete and when you worked with athletes? Denise, there, there's a, this is a great question, and this is a great question for non-athletes as well as athletes. Number one, we need to have a very short memory in regards to failure, loss, and frustration. Ah. It, it is crucial. You know, when, when I'm getting chills right now, you know, when you read about a Michael Jordan who talks about the fact that, you know, he missed more shots than he made, he, there's a, a great quote where he gives all these statistics of, you know, he was given the last shot and let's say in 300 games in order to win the game. And he only hit that last shot to win the game 50 times or there's, it's some ridiculous percentage. So what we have to do is, and this is in life too, whether we're talking about relationships or finances, if we make errors, if we don't do today at the highest level, we know we can, if we're not playing our best, we need to learn from the mistakes we made, but then we need to move on like, and move on quickly. That short-term memory around frustration and failure is crucial. People with really low self-esteem and confidence will hold on and beat themselves up mentally about the mistake they made in their last game or their last relationship or the last time they got a bonus check, how they blew it inappropriately. 
we need to look at the errors we made, number one, but then we need to have that short memory where we let it go, learn from it, let it go, and move on. So that would be number one. The second key that I've taken from athletes and then working with all of the different people we have over 30 years is going to be that you need to have an accountability partner at all times, a mentor, a counselor, a coach. Going back to Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan said that when he was selected as one of the top 100 NBA players of all times, he was in an interview and the person said, it must be amazing that you got this far on pure talent and look at where you are. And Michael Jordan interrupted the interviewer right away and said, wait a minute, I didn't get here by myself. For the last number of years, I've had coaches I've had mental toughness coaches. I've had nutritionists, personal trainers, flexibility coaches. He said, I have surrounded myself and asked for help from some of the top people in my industry, both psychologically and physically, in order to be able to do what I'm doing for so long. And as a matter of fact, there was an interview yesterday on ESPN about LeBron James, and they were saying one of the things that blows everyone's mind is how He has played throughout his career almost injury-free. Now, they didn't say this during the interview, but several weeks ago in an article, LeBron was talking about how he puts $150,000 to $200,000 a year into massages, cryotherapy baths, and all these different things to help his body recover from the punishment it takes. So, Number one, have a short-term memory with your mistakes or your errors. Number two, hire an accountability partners, people that will hold your feet to the fire and make you do what you normally won't do. And then the third key is a real willpower key. And at the last Summer Olympics, Usain Bolt was interviewed after winning you know, every gold medal event that he was in. And they said, there's all these people, all these athletes that have not been able to compete with you for the last eight years. Like the last couple of Olympics, you have just walked away with everything. And you have such a great attitude. Number one, how do you continue to outdistance your opponents? And number two, how do you have such a great attitude? And he said, well, let me answer the second one first. I have a great attitude here at the Olympic Games because I don't have to practice anymore. And he started laughing. He goes, I don't have to do any training. When I'm at the Olympics, all I have to do is show up, run the race, win the race, and it's a big party. And then I just dance all night long. But he said (laughs) the other thing, yeah, he he was great, Denise. He was just great. You know, he said, this is my vacation. He said, believe it or not, the the Olympic Games are the easy part. But he said, this is what separates me from everyone else. He goes, the top athletes in the world, and this is the same for the top people who are successful financially, the top relationships, the top everything. There is a percentage, and those people at the top of their game are willing to do what 90% of other people who would like to be successful like them will not do. And so Usain went on to explain it. He said, you know, I'm not a morning person. But six days a week, my coach has me on the track at 6 a.m., and I hate it. He said, I don't like weight training at all, but at 2 in the afternoon, six days a week, I'm in the gym doing weights with my coach, and I hate it. And then he said, at 6 p.m. at night, I'm back out on the track, and I hate it. 
But I know this. If I'm willing to do all these things I don't like, the odds of someone beating me are so small that that gives me the motivation to do what I'd rather not do to become the success I've become. Denise, that statement that the most successful people do what 90% of the rest of us won't do is the most factual point I would like your listeners to take away from our interview. It's almost that simple. When we get into the mindset that we want to lose a certain amount of weight, you know, I, I'm a counselor at a bariatric center, um, a surgical center. Of course, bariatric surgery is, is uh, gas surgery, stomach surgery, sleeves, stapling, bi- gastric bypass, all that for people that are extremely overweight. And Thursday night, I spoke to a huge group that was at the center of all people that have gone through the surgery, and some of them will lose 200 pounds, Denise, and within six months, they'll have gained it all back. Wow. And they were asking. Yeah, and they were asking all these questions, and I came up with this. It's the simplest of answers. If you, meaning our audience, regarding money, weight, addiction, relationships, career, if you're willing to do what 90% of your friends and family and the rest of the world won't do, you will at some point hit huge success. But it might be like me. I wrote books for 20 years before we got any notoriety. So, but, you know, a lot of people will start writing books like I do, Denise, and if they don't get that notoriety or the checks that they want, they'll stop after two years. But I knew that if I kept doing what most people won't do, that I was going to hit a very high level of success at some point. I didn't think it would take 20 years. (laughs) I didn't think it would take anywhere near that amount of time, Denise, but you know what? When it did, I was so ecstatic, and then the first one hit, and then the next one hit number one, and the third one hit number one, and I look in the mirror, and I go, it was worth the 20-year wait. <laughs> ah, yes, 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 yes. Now, we want to get into your books, and, and our listeners, we hear so much about positive thinking, and, of course, it does have a lot of value, uh, but, again, back to your point, not just positive thinking, be willing to do what 90% of other folks don't have a somebody or somebody's who hold you accountable. And you're going to have to do things you don't want to do, but that leads you toward the success you want. Now, can you share with us, David, what inspired you? You've done counseling. You were an athlete. You've worked with athletes. What What inspired you to write Positive Thinking Will Never Change Your Life, but this book will the myth of positive thinking the reality of success what what after all you you did already had done what made you want to sit down and write this specific book denise that is a crucially important question i'm so glad you asked it um i'm, I'm going to tell the, the short version and then i'm, I'm going to do a, a really quick background The short version of why I wrote the book is that I saw that there were too many people in this world that were buying into the nonsensical thinking that if you just put certain thoughts out into the universe, they must respond in kind. So I'm having these clients come in over the years, and it was really from about 2007 on that I noticed it. And 2007 is when the book The Secret came out and The Law of Attraction came back into vogue. 
so what happened, I'm, I'm seeing all these people and they're coming in and there's in, in our book, Positive Thinking Will Never Change Your Life, but this book will. We tell the story of Ray Higdon, a friend of mine that had fallen into extremely terrible financial situations, single dad, two young boys, and he came to me and he said, I have no money to, to hire you as my counselor or my coach, but would you give me an hour of your time? And I said, absolutely. We met at the end of it. I could see how anxious and nervous he was. And I said to him, Ray, if you find something to sell, you have a natural sales ability. You are going to rock this world. You'll go back up on top financially. Look for a product you believe in. So he left me, left the office, said thank you very much. He was all excited. But when he got home, he stopped and picked up a copy of the book, The Secret. And according to The Secret, it says, Whatever, if you want to make money, put out into the universe thoughts that checks are coming in the mail and they must come in. So he created his vision board and he did his affirmations. And 30 days later, Denise, he's in worse shape than he was when he left my office. So he decided that he was going to follow what I had shared. He went and found a product that he could sell. And then he got some of the wisest advice ever from another individual who said to him, if you want to become financially free, selling this product that you love, go after 20 rejections a day. Now, think about that. A lot of people will say, you know, make 10 phone calls a day in sales or 20 phone calls, but this person was very specific and said to Ray, I don't want you putting the phone down and going to sleep until you've had 20 no's. Within two years of following that advice, instead of what had happened with The Secret, where he got in worse shape, within two years, Denise, he was making $50,000 a month. That's $600,000 a year. And now he makes over a million dollars a month. So, you know, we, we, we knew that there were problems with that mindset. And not only did we know there were problems with the mindset of the law of attraction, et cetera, but here's something else, and this is how my life was radically changed. And this philosophy came to me about the ridiculousness of the power of the mind. From 1980 to 1996, I was one of those people traveling the world, standing on stage, screaming out, whatever you believe you can achieve, and getting the audiences screaming back to me. Now, that's not true. And anyone who has any type of common sense knows that just because you believe something doesn't mean it's going to come to you. But I was following my gurus at the time from 1980 to 1996. And then in 1996, my world was shaken. My belief systems were rocked. When I interviewed one of the most amazing people that has ever walked this earth, one of the most, the smartest individuals, most humble, he's no longer with us, but he was the founder of Transcendental Meditation. His name Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And in my one hour with Maharishi, he exposed in a very loving way that all my talk about affirmations and visualization and accepting what the universe is going to give to me once I put these great thoughts out there were wrong. And he said, with all of your affirmations, did, have they all come true? So if you wake up in the morning and say, I earn a million dollars a year, or I am a size six when you're a size 18, 
You know, do your has your body changed via your affirmations? Have your has your finances changed via your affirmations? And when Maharishi was asking me this, the answer was no. Mm. My life hadn't. My life had changed because I was willing to do what ninety percent of other people won't do. But all of my positive thinking never got me sober, Denise. I was a, a raging alcoholic for 30 years. And I woke up every day with positive affirmations about how I was sober and I'm a child of God and I deserve to be sober and I love my sobriety. And that night I'm drinking again. So after mm. Maharishi's interview, you know, I came to realize that what I was teaching, I was just a parrot. I was taking these other famous people's teachings and I was repeating them because other famous people were teaching it. When in actuality, it wasn't true. And, and so now in my books, I actually apologize, Denise, and I say to, you know, because we have quite a large audience, and I say, I am so sorry for misleading you for all those years, from 1980 to 1996. But then in 1996, everything turned around. And now, I'm still a huge fan of positive thinking. As a matter of fact, the first hour of every day is spent in journaling, meditation, visualization, prayer, the first hour. But after that, I just go to work. I don't rely on affirmations and vision boards to try to bring something into my life. So what we say in all of our books is your positive thinking will be about 20% of your success. So if you have a huge goal of weight loss or money or sobriety, how you think is going to register at about 20% of your success rate. What you do that you would rather not do on a daily basis is really the determining factor is if your life is going to change or not. Uh, so positive thinking does have a you, – you don't want to – you can be doing something and then telling yourself, ah, it's, I'm going to fail anyway, I'm going to fail anyway, and you keep, you keep, because they've, they've shown, you know, it does take, I think it takes a, a marriage of both, because they've shown people who've gone on drastic diets, and they've done the action, they've done the, the what 90% of people won't do, but then the thinking takes them all the way back to the old way. So it seems like sure. both, both, both do do have an impact, but before we go on, can you tell us just for some listeners when you say po- positive thinking, we hear so much around these, and there's so many self help books. It's a multi billion dollar industry, but we hear so many things. Whether it's get a vision board, your vision, doing affirmations, exactly what is just exactly what is positive thinking? Is it just getting up saying today's it's a beautiful day. What is positive thinking? Yeah. I, well, we, we can look at a couple of different de- definitions. Positive thinking is looking at um, the glasses half full versus half empty. Positive thinking is having um, a, be- you know, a belief system. So when we talk about you know, beliefs, we know how powerful they are. So a positive thinker will say, even though I'm in this tough situation in this relationship, I know that either we're going to save the relationship or I'll move on and be single and I'll be fine. You know, positive thinking is important, but like we say in all of our books, it doesn't carry more than 20% of the weight of massive success. So positive thinking can be the person that decides after failure that they're going to try again. That's a positive thinker. Yes, I failed. Yes, I lost my money. Yes, I went bankrupt. Yes, I got divorced. 
but I learned X from it. Now let's go and do it again. That's, that's the world of positive thinking. The biggest concern we have, and, and in our, our last number one bestseller, Focus, Slay Your Goals, the, the, the biggest concern we have about the world of positive thinking is that people will sit after saying an affirmation or doing their vision board, they'll, they'll sit and they'll think that that's enough. And then they'll just go back to Nice and do what they've always done, which has never been enough to get what they want. But they think because of these famous books that have said whatever you believe you can achieve and whatever you put out to this magical universe must return in kind, well, if that were to happen, we call that a miracle. If you were to sit back in your chair and create a vision board and it shows you living in Fiji on the beach in a $10 million home, and the next day you get a phone call and say, hey, you just won a $10 million home on the beach, beach of Fiji. We would... <laughs> and, then, and then you go, wow, look at what my affirmation did. And we're going to say, you know, that's called a coincidence, my love, and that's a miracle. <laughs> but, you know, we, we want to dispel that because what I said a minute ago, Denise, too many people when they get into that mindset of, that, that their thoughts are going to change their life, too many people then have those affirmations and those vision boards, and then they do nothing different. And so their life isn't going to change. In our work, we say, we, we want to get this message out so badly for this reason. Our only goal, our goal isn't to sell 10 billion books. If that happens, great. Our, our goal, we don't even look at it from a financial point of view. You know, years ago, we stopped setting financial goals every year, and instead we turned it around, Denise. Instead of saying at the end of this year, I want to earn X amount of dollars with my company, we say at the end of today, I want to positively lift 2 million people. And we've changed our whole philosophy around how we work, why we work, what we do, if people go to our website, talkdavid.com, you'll see all of this free stuff. I mean F-R-E-E stuff. We give away so much because we know that the more we give, the more lives we touch, and the more people can get out of the old belief systems that don't work. As a matter of fact, uh, a, a friend of mine, Joe Vitale, Dr. Joe Vitale, uh, your listeners may have heard of him he was one of the stars of The Secret. And in The Secret, he says he was homeless. And then through his power of thought, he started attracting checks in the mail. And he became a millionaire. So this is what it says in The Secret. So when I had Dr. Joe on my radio show, I go, Joe, you know I love you and your work, but I've got to challenge you here. It says on The Secret that you were homeless no opportunity to make any money, and you started thinking positive thoughts about checks coming in the mail, and you became a millionaire. I go, Joe, I, I want to know the truth. Did you attract millions of dollars by your affirmation and the power of your thought? And Denise, he started laughing, and he goes, well, David, he goes, they left out an important part of my story. I go, no kidding, Joe. What a shock. He said, yeah. He said, they left out that I worked for many years, seven days a week, 12 hours a day to earn my first million dollars. Yeah. And that's what yeah. got me out of 
That, yeah. He said, that's what got me out of homelessness. He said, yes, I'm a positive thinker. And yes, I called for money to come to me. He said, but honestly, I earned every penny because of how hard I worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, that's, that's important because. Yeah, go ahead. That's important. That's important because we all, there's a pull to, to be comfortable. There's a pull to. We all want magic. We all want magic. We want magic in our work, our relationships, our finances. You know, people overspend and somehow they expect their bank finances to be okay. It just doesn't work like that. We all want to eat what we want and not gain a pound. We we want magic. Yep. We do. And I guess I, some people know that, and you can make a lot of money just off of the fact that we do want it. But at some point we have to realize it's not enough. But what a lot of us will do is just go out and try a different a self-help, whatever approach, so we don't have to really get down and grind it out. And, and, that, and there will be something else. There will be something else coming. Can you can you share with us, David? Uh, what are some signs? We know you don't want to think negatively. That's not going to help you. But can you share some signs that show? that we are taking the right actions to achieve our goals. You, you kept writing for 20 years before you got, yeah. got the success that you were looking for. So, you like, don't quit too soon. But what are some signs that we are taking the right steps? Well, I, I, that's, that's super. I think if we're doing what we enjoy, so let's look at it this way, Denise. Let's say someone says, okay, I've been doing this work that I hate. I've been an accountant for years, and I hate accounting. Or I've worked in in retail, or I've worked in the restaurant business for years, and I can't stand it. So what we do then is we regroup, and we say, what is it that would bring me huge joy? What is it that when I get up in the morning, I go, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to get in and work with this type of role or do this type of a work? So first we have to figure out what it is that when we do on a daily basis would be joyful. Now there's going to be – Parts of every choice we make that'll suck. All right, that's the reality. There's parts of my work that I go, oh gosh, I got to do this on a Saturday. All right, let's get it over. I'd rather be at the beach, but I, I've got to stay and do this. So I think we need to look at it from a realistic point of view and say, if I am on path, the number one key that's going to tell me I'm on path is that I'm doing what I enjoy. That's number one. Once you do what you enjoy, it's easier to put in extra hours, Denise. It's easier to go the extra mile. Now, you, as you listen to me give this advice as listeners, you may go, yeah, listen to this guy. He's given all this advice, but it took him 20 years to get a number one bestseller. But that's the point. Even though I didn't get a big hit for 20 years, I loved writing. I absolutely loved writing. So, Let's get these two steps, you know, in, in, in alignment. Number one, do it what it is that you love. And then number two, whatever it is you're choosing, make a decision to do what 90% of other people in that position won't do. And at some point, and I don't have a magic ball, but I can tell you that at some point you will be paid back in spades for what it is that you've put the extra hours into. It may not be financially it might be self-confidence improves dramatically, self-esteem improves dramatically. It might mean by doing what you love, you meet people that you would never meet. 
and you create bonds that you could never have created if you would have stayed stuck in a career you don't like. So let's settle down. Let's slow down. Let's think about if what we're doing is not fulfilling, what could I start doing even part-time that maybe over the years will turn into a full-time love? And then the last key is always going to be the same. When you're doing what you love, make sure you're willing to put the extra effort in that 90% of other people probably won't. Mm. Mm. Good advice, good advice. And and from somebody who counseled and worked with many people, not just a Davis, not just a book writer, but also has counseled and worked with work with people. And then your own personal experience things you've learned from. Now, positive thinking will never change your life, but this book will. The myth of positive thinking, the reality of success. It starts with a quote from Confucius. And i got to tell you, I didn't mean to do it, but I started this show with a quote from Confucius. Now, the quote is that there is no coming to consciousness without pain. People will do anything, no matter how absurd, to avoid facing their own soul. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. i got to ask you, does awakening, does it really necessarily have to be painful? Well, I think more often than not it is, Denise. Could there be awakenings that aren't painful? Yeah, I think they're very rare. Um, so let, let me give you an example. Let's say that uh, you know, someone struggles with an addiction of some type. It uh, doesn't matter what it is. And, and let's say they're in their teens, and all of a sudden they notice that they're leaning on alcohol or nicotine or, or food uh, way too much. And they awaken very early on, and they go, you know, this isn't necessary. I don't need to drink or smoke or overeat or whatever. I, I think I'm just going to change my life. That would be an awakening with minimal discomfort. They've done it early in life. They see their errors and their ways, and they get help, and they, they change. Most of us, we aren't that intelligent, <laughs> quite frankly, Denise, and myself included. Most of us, when we go through life, we only change when the pain gets great enough to awaken us that says what we're doing isn't working and we need to get help. That awakening is very difficult. And while I would love to say that, you know, like that statement, you're exactly where you're supposed to be, that's not accurate. It, it, that, that, that statement, you know, people use it. I used to use it up until 1996. You know, someone would say that they're struggling with something, and we go, oh, relax, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. But that's a cop-out, Denise, because if you're struggling with alcohol, that's not where you're supposed to be. If you're struggling mm. in your relationship, that's not where you're supposed to be. If you're struggling with weight, if you're struggling with money, you know, people use that as a cop-out to not change. And there's a lot of statements in my industry, such as that one, and whatever you believe you can achieve that are, if not 100% inaccurate, they're very close to it. So we've got to be super careful of what we listen to, what we buy into, who we hang out with, if we want to create the life that we are destined to live with joy and success and anything else that we want. Mm. So it may be painful unless it depends, like you say, how much resistance, I guess, there is in us to awaken. It is an ongoing process. Now, you talked earlier, kind of about my next question, 
that those who do reach great success, using Usain Bolt and others as examples, they do they do what ninety percent of us won't do. But then again, I've seen people put in enormous physical work and not get the success they want. I mean, enormous. So what what is the number one thing? And I did somebody who just worked three jobs just popped into my head. What's the number one thing that keeps people from getting? Uh, what they really want, and it could be a healthy relationship, a rewarding career, massive sales of a product or a service. They're a positive thinker. They're taking, they're they're putting eighteen hours a day into this. What? And they don't get it. They don't get it after decades. What is really? What really holds us back when we're combining positive beliefs with massive action? Well, what you just said reminds me of um, Kentucky Fried Chicken and the Colonel. Uh, Colonel Sanders, he made his first million dollars at 68, Denise. He started trying to sell his chicken in his 20s. Wow. So it was 48 years of no, 48 years of frustration before he actually saw a check that was um, uh, 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 enormous. So I think there are some people that because they're so driven and they have so much passion for, in his case, the chicken, maybe in someone else's case, uh, they, they want to be the best hairstylist in the country or the world or something like that. There are some people that because they're so driven by what they do, they will go through hell and back and they'll never stop. And they might die penniless but they've done what their passion was their whole life, and that is their payment. That is their reward, that they've been able to pursue and go after something that's meaningful to them, and that's a pretty powerful life. Whether you make the money or not, whether you get the acclaim or not, if you can go through your life working long hours and doing what you love, there's the payoff right there. Because Mm. so many people, Denise, stay stuck for 10, 20, 30, 40 years in careers they hate, and they may make enough money to be comfortable, but they've got to go five or six days a week into an environment they don't enjoy. From my perspective, I would rather do something that I thoroughly enjoy and it take a long time to be successful than to do something I don't enjoy and have success come overnight. Ah. Interesting, interesting. Now, do you believe in destiny? We you touched on this a little bit earlier. We have ten minutes left in the show, and I'm trying to give our listeners as much uh, beneficial, helpful information as they can take as they go out and either reshape their lives or continue along the same path they were on before the show. Uh, this show launched today, but do you believe in destiny? Do you think that we do have a predetermined path? Or do you say, no, we're making it up as we go along? You know, I like B, Denise. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to have someone trying to convince me that no matter what I do, X is going to happen because that's my destiny. I, I don't like that. I believe that, you know, like, like even with myself, most people that go to write books, especially, you know, I started writing so long ago, most people that go to write books will say to you, don't write a book if you don't, and this is years ago, now it's changed, but, you know, unless you have education, 
don't go after dreams and goals unless you have education. Well, you know, I had no education and I just grunted it. I think a lot of my success is because I grunt through things. I'll do the dirty work. I'll be persistent as hell. I have an outrageous determination. And so I don't really believe in the whole destiny thing. And let me give you a great example. There's a motivational speaker, Nick Vujicic, who a lot of people, if you go into YouTube and Google, um, Nick with no arms and legs, if you go to YouTube and just Google Nick with no arms and legs, you will find videos on this amazing individual. Nick was born in Australia. He has two brothers and sisters that have normal. They were born with arms and legs. He, there was this very one in 10 billion chance that this could happen to anyone. And when he was born, he was born without any arms and any legs. His father, upon birth, ran out of the hospital vomiting. His mother couldn't bond with him emotionally. So in the first X amount of months that's crucial for the mom-child to bond, she couldn't bond with him because of his deformities. Well, if we look at destiny, we would say that Nick was destined to be in a home. He was destined to not have friends. He was destined to have a life of suffering. Nick asked his brother, Nick had attempted suicide as a child many times because of the fact that he was bullied so, so deeply in, in his hometown and in his schools that he asked his brother to take him out on a surfboard off the coast of Australia and to dump him over and to allow him to die. His brother refused. So now Nick had a choice. He could either accept who he was and he could become a beggar or he could become something because he has no arms and legs, or he could choose to reinvent himself, Denise. For the sake of all of mankind, he chose B. He is one of the most inspirational people you'll ever listen to. He still has no arms and no legs. He's married to a beautiful woman. They have several children. So I would say, you know, could that be his destiny? I struggle with that because it really was his willpower. He made a decision that he was not going to let his handicap put him in second place. He makes millions of dollars a year as a speaker. I believe his personal choice to fight and to overcome his challenges was more of his own decision-making than destiny. And, and we could tell millions of stories. Of, and we go back in time with the Oprah Winfrey's in the world, you know, who were raped as little girls, the slaves from years ago who created outrageous success with the Underground Railroad and all these other kind of things that people who have great challenges have overcome. And I honestly believe it's mainly due to human decision. I am mm. not going to be limited. I'm not going to be limited by X, by my color, by my money, by my lack of arms and legs. I am going to create a dynamic life. Denise, that is the choice that each of our listeners have. We can start today and shatter those limitations and create, for the most part, no guarantees. But for the most part, if you're willing to do what 90% of other people won't do, you can recreate your life. 365 days from now, you might be a radically changed person. Ah, very interesting. 
if you take the and if you keep doing what you've been doing, you're gonna be the same person for the most part. Uh, but if you yep. on make some decisions that you not external uh, external things, but you're making massive internal changes, you you would be very very different. Now, with the, just a few more minutes left in today's off the shelf show, David, what what do you hope that readers gain from reading? Positive thinking will never change your life, but this book will, The Myth of Positive Thinking, The Reality of Success. What do you want readers to walk away with after they finish reading the book? Well, you know, we have about 100 stories in the book, you know, and, and several of the stories are written by other New York Times number one best-selling authors, too, Denise. And I, I did that on purpose because I wanted a reader to pick up the book and not go, oh, you know, David Essel has a thing against the secret of the law of attraction. That's why he's writing this. I didn't want people to, you know, sort of pigeonhole me as the anti-secret man. And so we included New York Times bestselling authors that told their stories about how they used to believe in the power of thought, and then they realized that it wasn't as powerful as they had believed. So what we want people to take away through all these hundred stories is that, 20% of your success will come from how you think. 80% will come from if you're willing to do what most other people won't. Now, those are very simple teachings. And most of our minds don't accept something so simple when we bought into the concept of the secret and the law of attraction. So we give one story after another. And at the end of the book, we've heard this hundreds of times from, from readers. And that is they had taken the too-good-to-be-true philosophy of these other books to heart, and they had suffered by holding themselves back. When you, walk in, when you walk into the uncomfortable on a daily basis, you're going to change, and you're going to change for the better, and that's what we want people to get out of the book. Uh, to, 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 to take the steps that will really, 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 really help you live the life that you most want to live. Now, where can off-the-shelf listeners get copies of your books, David? Yeah, Denise, all of our books are available at our website. It's really easy to remember, talkdavid.com, T-A-L-K, david.com. It's the same website as davidessel.com that you mentioned earlier. Um, It's just easier to remember, talkdavid.com. You can go look at the books, and also we offer a free video service where five days a week when you sign up for our video club, you will get an inspirational video every morning from me, three minutes long, helping you start your day off on a powerful note. And that is called David Essel's Daily Video Boost. So when you go to talkdavid.com, look at the books, but definitely sign up for the Daily Boost and you'll be able to be inspired with our messages five days a week at talkdavid.com. And lastly, are you on any social media networks where our listeners could connect with you online? If so, can you share a few of those networks? Oh, yeah. You know what? We're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and it's all the same handle, just my name, David Essel, E-S-S-E-L, Denise. So anyone that wants to follow us, join us, and definitely if you're going to follow me on social media, let me know you heard me through Denise's show. That would be fantastic. Okay, okay, yeah, let them know that you called today's show. Um, so we want to thank David Esau for being here with us this morning. He is the author 
he is the author of the book Positive Thinking. It it is not enough. It is not enough to change your life. And what and what a powerful message he shared. So many things here with us this morning. Positive thinking will never change your life, but this book will. The Myth of Positive Thinking, The Reality of Success, and encourage you. He has also written some other books, encourage you to go out and support him. You can, at his website, talkdavid.com, you can find him there. You can also just look him up on Amazon.com and see some of his books, including the book we talked about today and some of his other books. So we want to thank David for being here with us. Remember, as he said, if you do what... If you're willing to do and you actually put into action what 90% of people aren't willing to do, it can make it can make a difference. And whatever you do, make sure you're doing what you love. Even if, like Colonel Sanders, it takes you 48 years to get that first big check. <laughs> if you if you do what you love, you will be getting that payment of happiness every single day or every time you do what you love. So we thank you, David, for being here with us, and we thank our off-the-shelf listeners. Remember, tune in next Saturday. We will have another phenomenal guest for you, Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. As I always tell you guys, you are awesome. You are amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. David, I will send a link to the show to your publicist. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bye for now. Bye now.